Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, cool. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Comfort Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Barksdale. To the first-time visitors as well as the repeat offenders, thank you so much for checking us out. Um, This is a mental health podcast that looks at mental health through the lenses of music, sports, and comedy or arts and entertainment. Um, We have a guest today. And... Oh, you have a feelings wheel right by you. Uh, We have a guest today. And I just realized that I didn't give them a feelings wheel, but they have a feelings wheel now. Before we get into it, though, I want to say while these conversations may be therapeutic in nature, we are not mental health professionals. Um, And, you know, if these conversations lead you into thinking, you know, maybe I should pursue more help or these kind of things, maybe you should. Um, While I'm here to talk to you, I can't really answer many questions. Um, and with that, I'm gonna get into the feelings wheel today. Right now, I feel I'm always excited before I give interviews, but I feel excited again. One, because it's like one of the few options you have for happiness on the feelings wheel for some reason, and two, because we got a guest. Like I said, now this is um, did I do my feeling? Oh, yeah, that's what I was just explaining to y'all. Now, this is actually a former teammate of mine from college, um, graduate of the LSU MBA program, among other things. And I usually don't even do, I'm not supposed to be doing bios. I'm going to let you do that. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce Alex Russian. Awesome. Hey, Joe. So just, uh, you can either start with your feeling or you can start with like your introduction of yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, first and foremost, happy, excited to be here. I know that's on the, the color wheel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go ahead and throw that out there. It's an honor to be here, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to talk to the audience and to hang out and talk to you also. Um, as Joe mentioned, I'm a former teammate. I played football at LSU. I mm-hmm. uh, got my MBA as well at LSU. I am originally from Austin, Texas, and uh, I was raised in Round Rock, a suburb north, north of Austin. Um, come from a middle-class family. Uh, my mother is from El Paso, Texas, and my grandparents are from... Uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, and my dad is from actually Detroit, Michigan. Um, oh yeah, your dad is one of the main connections that. that we first had. Yeah, and then my grandparents are well, you know, my ancestry will say uh, Czechoslovakian. So if you put those two together, I'm a Czech mix. Get it? <laughs> You're a dad too. <laughs> that was a dad joke. <laughs> Still working on them. Still working on them. So um, yeah, man. And uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Lindsay, since 2016. We have a beautiful daughter named Vivian. She just turned 18 months this past week, and she is my everything. So, What is the difference between growing up in Austin and like having a family in Austin? Well, first and foremost, man, Austin used to be this, this little town in between San Antonio and Dallas that you'd kind of just wave as you drove by 35. And now looking at it, it has just blown up with so many people, so many new buildings, construction. You know, it's the, the what they say is the Silicon Hills now versus <laughs> the, the Silicon Valley of California. So growing up, it was great. Um, small, I say it was a small town. Um, I remember my dad always used to drive me down to Waterloo Records on Lamar, where we used to pick up the Austin Chronicle uh, every week. And then... 
this brings me back a memory too when I was shopping in Central Market and all of a sudden I looked at the Austin Chronicle and there you are on the front <laughs> cover. I mean, I was just amazed that this newspaper that I grew up reading had Joe Barza on the front cover. It was it was amazing. I'm kind of amazed too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to the Austin Chronicle, by the way. Definitely. Good uh, people. Good the official, people. unofficial sponsors of the podcast. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Bro. And then growing up with a family, I mean, it definitely is different. Um, man, your life changes so quickly when when you go from single to married to to having a, a kid. And it it definitely, like I said, it's life changing. And I look at everything so differently now from traveling, from spending time away from your family, from Mm -hmm. your daughter. It's just like I don't have the time to really worry about anything else besides them. Mm -hmm. And and I mean by the small things, right? Before, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in a couple group text messages, and I was the type of person, if there was a conversation going, I would jump right in and, and just go go to town and make sure that I'm involved and you know I was very quick to I've always wanted to respond as soon as I could right now it's like I don't I don't really do that anymore because my priorities have shifted and I'd rather give my focus and attention to my daughter versus those conversations mm-hmm. and they may not be as meaningful conversations but I don't really worry about them until you know she's taken a nap or mm-hmm. she's put to bed right does that make sense yeah you um your, like you said, your priorities change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, this is once again my opinion, I think people don't really understand that unless you really have a child of your own. And so I get it. I, yeah. I mean, I completely understand now that I have a child how, you know, your responsibilities change and you, you put your family first above all else. So, um, yeah, man, it's... Has that negatively affected your relationship with your former immediate family, if that makes sense? No, I think not at all. Honestly, I think everyone in my immediate family is very happy. I mean, I'm the first. It's it's myself and my sister um, and my parents. They were great. They raised us to be the, the people that we are today. And without them, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you. Mm-hmm. Just the amount of influence they had. Um if anything, they're extremely happy for me and extremely happy that they're able to see me grow, not just as an adult, but as a parent, too. Mm-hmm. So. Are you, would you say that you, it sounds like it, but would you say that you're like close with your family? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. You know, both my parents still live in the in central Texas and, um, you know, my mom, Lita, is what we're, what we call her for Abuelita. Ah, so okay. Vivi says, Lita, Lita, Lita. Um, she lives in South Austin, so she's around all the time. She helps us babysit. And my dad's in Salado, and he does what he can. He's uh, he's busy. Mm-hmm. He's got to work, and he's got a, another family to take care of. So I understand. I dig that. You know what I mean? You, um, I was going to ask you something, because you were talking about conversations may not be as meaningful. You're talking about the conversations... You were talking about the conversations with your friends, or are you saying the conversations with your daughter? Conversations with my friends. Okay. You know, in a group text message, you could be talking about like fantasy football, or you can be talking about, you know, the next best movie. You could be talking about golf, whatever it may be. Is and it I'm all not, pretty much small talk? Yeah. Well, majority, I would say. Yeah. 
And unless there was something, you know, I'd skim through it. If there was something that was that was meaningful, then I probably would respond. But the majority, there's one group that's pretty much all small talk. Okay. And for me, it's like I go back to having the the baby and like how my priorities have shifted and how like she's first, my wife is first, and I've always been the type of person, Joe, to to reach out to somebody, to make an effort, to go mm-hmm. spend time with that individual or individuals, right? Mm-hmm. I've been that way my whole life. And I think, once again, that's how I was raised. It's just my mom has always told me at a very, very young age, she says, Miho, you know, you always want to be able to give someone a hug because you never know who needs it. Mm-hmm. And so I've always lived that motto, right? But now it's like, once again, priorities have shifted, responsibilities have shifted. I think I've done so much to make an effort to people I guess I want to feel more reciprocated mm-hmm. and have them reach out to me because mm-hmm. I've done that my whole life. Which is understandable, yeah. How does that feel, like, to be the person, like, that always reaches out? I was talking to my wife about this the other day, but how does that feel to you to be the person that reaches out and now, like you said, you've had um, you've had the daughter, you've gotten married, your life has changed, you're starting to reevaluate things as people do when their lives change, like... Does that like emotionally hurt your feelings? Because like for me, it hurts my feelings. Like if it's somebody that I was always reaching out to or, you know, these kind of things, obviously it's not a secret that like I get suicidal all the time. Mm-hmm. But like I think about all the people who I've helped through like dark times in their lives. And like you said, you're not doing it for reciprocation. But at the same time, if it's a, you know, if you're the one always reaching out and the one that's always putting their effort, it does kind of hurt to make that realization that like, damn, does this person not care about me as much as I thought they did? Or like, you know what I mean? No, that, I mean, you, you nailed it, man. Um, you definitely realize, I don't want to say who your real friends are, but the people that truly matter to you, the people you truly will be willing to, so I say, give up time with my daughter, go spend time with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I definitely, it's funny because Lindsay always talks to me about this too, but really it's like, you have your your friends, and she has her friends, but we have our friends. And we now have our friends as a priority versus her friends and my friends. Which Does makes that sense. make sense? Yeah, because, like, you you were just talking about it. Logically, like, y'all have to schedule things. Obviously, you know, more of your schedule is taken up. Once again, it's a family. And if we're going to spend time, we got to kill two birds with one stone. Not, I mean... It's not that cut and dry, but I know what you're saying. Right, right, yeah. right. And don't get me wrong. Like, I still have some some great friends that I've grown up with and, you know, high school, college buddies, even so. And I and I love them dearly. It's just I, I'm, I don't make the effort anymore. Mm. Is it you first. don't or you can't? Because like you, like you were saying, I mean, it, it's not like you don't. Yes, you don't make the effort as a fact, but I would argue you can't just because of other things that have come up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say it's a mixture of both, actually. I would say I don't want to make the effort because I've I've given so much effort and nothing has, has happened. Oh, like yeah, no no that. events or no like, hey, let's go grab lunch or, you know, it, it's never... Oh, no follow through. No follow through, right? And then sometimes, right, I mean, I can't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a, let's just say I have a sick baby at home. Like, obviously, I'm not going anywhere for a couple of days. Well, on top of a job and a wife, too. Like, exactly. I, I think people, you know, you talk about it like, oh, I'm working 40 hours a week. That's a lot of time. You right. know what I mean? I mean, you got to sleep for what? What's eight times seven? 42? Mm-hmm. No, 56? 56, 56. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're sleeping for 56 hours. 
plus the 40 you working, I mean, that's, what, 96 right there? I don't know how many hours are in a week, and I'm not about to try to do that math, but that's a huge time. You know, that's a huge, like, and not everyone needs eight hours. Some people need more, you know, especially people, parents, they need more. They're more tired, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, um, well, first of all, what is your relationship with mental health? Because we were just talking about, like, you know, you obviously seem to be very emotionally intelligent, you know, based off of what you said about your mom with people who need hugs um, and just being a very giving person in general. I feel like there has to be some level of empathy in there, you know, like a heart for other people. So, like, what is your relationship just with mental health in general? And would you consider yourself mentally healthy? Mental health for me, I want to say I've tried to take all of the negative events or negativity in my life and tried to make it and turn it into like a positive. And honestly, I, I'll tell you this, Joe, this, this year is kind of rough for me just because I lost three close family members. Um, one grandpa on one side, a grandma on one side, and an uncle within a matter of two months. And I lost the two grandparents within a week of each other. And for me, I've never experienced death like that. And when I, when I was uh, 10, I lost my grandpa, but I, I didn't understand what all that meant. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I've been blessed to not have to worry about that. I'm not worried, but not experience that until this point, being at 33 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was a tough time. I was emotionally shocked, and I thought everything was going to be okay. But I found myself at a conference I was working, and I just felt so alone. I didn't have anyone to lean on there. And I'm not the type of person to blast on social media, like, what's going on with my life right then and there, you know. it's If you look at my social media, it's really just my wife and I, I love to, we love to travel and we love our kid. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all you would know f- from my life, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a hard time. And so I found myself at this conference and my colleagues didn't, they didn't know. And it's not their fault. I didn't tell them, right? right? But I just felt so alone. I'm just like, what am I doing here? Like, I need to just go away and be alone and be by myself. And so I left and I just went home and just kind of laid in bed and just looked up at the ceiling and thought for a while about, you know, all the good times I had with those individuals, my grandparents and my uncle. And yeah, it was just, it was just a really rough time. I would say the month of January, I was in a slum at work. I was taking a lot of anger out of my wife and I was just in a bad place. And to get out of it, I just, I think I just leaned on my sister a lot because she was in the middle of everything too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was kind of the mediator between everything, kept us all yeah. in the know of what was going on. Obviously, I hugged my kid a lot and then, you know, thank God for my wife for being there because she was very comforting and loving. And um, at the same time, it's like I know all three of those people would want me to get up and, and not necessarily move on, but like, it's okay. We're at a better place now. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and, you know, let us go. And continue being a great father, continue being a great son, husband, whatever it may be. And so I would say about a, a solid month, I was I was back and I was feeling pretty good. And um, mentally, and I'll say this too, mentally, I think what helped me too is just a little bit of exercise. Mm-hmm. Just a little, I mean, 15 minutes, if mm-hmm. that even, just to go run a, a mile or two or go lift some weights. Mm-hmm. 
get some of that energy out. Yeah, and it just made me feel so much better because during that month of January, I didn't exercise at all. I was just like in a slump. And then Lindsay kept motivating me, like, just go, go in the garage or go lift some dumbbells, do something. And finally, I think that kind of got me going again, got my mind right, able to get back and work and do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm okay. I, I feel much better now. I mean, it's it's July almost. Mm-hmm. But oh no, I I understand. I know you didn't ask, but like usually when people share a personal story, I know how I don't know how weird that can be because of the autism. But mm-hmm. I try to reciprocate. So like in January, you know, I I was born in January, so it was different for me. Um, but I was in a slump in January too. Not. Not necessarily for deaths. I would say deaths. That was my slump like yesterday. Mm-hmm. But yesterday was Father's Day for those of y'all that don't know because these don't always come out. Um, these don't come out on like this will probably be out in the fall because I'm dropping one a week. I'm not I'm not <laughs> one of those people that's like, oh, we got the special Father's Day episode. No. Y'all get it when y'all get it. No, I'm just <laughs> But like in January, I don't once again, it's not a secret. Like most time, most of the time I don't want to be here. And for me, like have you ever played Monopoly? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like Monopoly. Another trip around the sun is like someone pushing me through the go square again. Where it's like, I don't even want to go through the go. Go. Like, pass go. Keep going. And, like, I think about, like, all the things that I thought that I would have done by now. All the things I didn't do. All the things that I've done that I didn't want to do. All the things that I didn't want to do that I, you know, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the things that I did want to do that I haven't done. And, like, it gets depressing. I hate my birthday. I fucking hate my birthday and everybody wants to celebrate it and I'm like why like I don't even want to be alive what do we celebrate my birthday for like I'm a mistake you know but I always go into a slump in January for that reason and when I was probably like early 20s I would definitely like be a little different than I am now um but now I just try to be quiet and respectful of like you know, like, my kids get excited for my birthday. My wife does. I don't know why. Like, I I think some of that's the mental illness. But I can understand being in that slump. Or even, like, Father's Day yesterday. Found myself breaking down, crying at church. I'm sitting here singing about how God's a good father while I had a bad one. And then on top of that, like, the two father figures that I did have are both dead. Mm. And, like, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> Kind of, I understand what you're saying. You know, I understand that feeling of like loneliness and like, what the fuck? You know, like, and I'm just supposed to move through my life while I'm feeling this crushing weight. Um, but I get it, you know. Um, and I will piggyback off what you said too about the working out. That definitely does help. Like, yeah. I'm at the point I'm almost working out like two hours a day. Wow. <laughs> but, um, well, you look great, man. Thank you. Say. I plan on looking a lot better. But, uh, <laughs> But I, I I get it. Um, and I do want to take this moment. It sounds super cliche. If someone's listening to this and you understand exactly what we're talking about, I'm not telling you to keep on keeping on, but you got to don't give up, right? Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Like, don't give up. Y'all hear how calm and, you know, relaxed Alex is now. Y'all, What y'all don't see is that he's been chain-smoking cigarettes since the <laughs> beginning. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> He's got two bottles of scotch. He's halfway done with it now. But um, I do think that it's very, like, 
and this is one reason why I do want to have more people, just people in general on the show that aren't me. Because I know if it was just me sitting here talking, so many people would probably kill themselves. Like, no, this, <laughs> this dude's right. There's no point, you know, being alive. But I love hearing um, from people like you who are on the other side. Well, would you would you consider yourself on the other side of that? Or is this something you still feel like you're dealing with? Oh, man, I think. Because, like, I don't, I, I'll tell you, my, I don't know if I'll ever be on the other side of, like, for yeah. me, it's not an everyday mental struggle. Okay. I think that's the difference between you and I. I think mine come in spurts, maybe. Depending on what events or what has happened, um, I think that's the difference. That makes sense. Well, I would argue that mine comes in spurts, too. Like, it's it's just a different level. You right. know what I mean? Right. But, yeah. I know what you're saying. Right. I um, And I definitely identify with, like... I mean, it's difficult to get out of bed when you feel that way. Definitely. And I know a lot of people would, like you said, you know, like some people are like, man, am I, be, am I getting lazy? Am I, but I, I mean, people don't know that like sadness does have physical effects too, just like anger does, just like anxiety does and these kind of things. Definitely. I also find it really weird that like death affects us the way that, it, I find it weird death affects me the way that it does. Like mm-hmm. as someone who wants to die, you would think that I would be happy for other dead people. But I'm not, like, because yeah. I'm still here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And two, like, it's the one thing that's promised to us, and it's, like, the one thing we don't want to talk about as humans. And as soon as someone does bring up death in general, they're suicidal. And it's like, nah, but maybe they just want to explore the one thing that we all, one of the few things we all share, like, 100% one-to-one in common. Yes. Everybody's going to die. Sorry, trigger warning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trigger warning. But, but yeah. I think it's what you do in your lifetime that matters the most, right? I mean, For you're sure. doing a great job of promoting mental health and doing the podcast, doing your comedy, being an entertainer, you know, looking <clears throat> looking beyond life after football, right? So yeah. for you and I, we, we were very different in recruiting uh, when we were coming out of high school, right? You were a high five-star defensive lineman, offensive lineman. I was just like a little two, three-star at a Round Rock High School, slowly just getting some scene uh, tapes when I was a junior. And uh, I just remember... Oh, you got more tape than me. I didn't have any <laughs> high school tape. That's Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no problem, no problem at all. My point was, you know, you're, you were able to go through all the... Did, the different levels of football, high school, college, and then NFL, right? I got a little taste of the NFL when I got a trial with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I went to a rookie camp and a mini camp, and I thought I made it. I was like, wow. I mean, I, I did what I could have ever imagined, right? Mm-hmm. And it was also a different experience at LSU for me as well, too. And I'll tell you a quick story just, just to give you an idea. Okay. My first year there, there, you know, we had camp. And, uh, you know, you go through a couple days of helmets and you go through shells and finally get full pads. Well, at camp, when you're a first year, you know, the freshman, um, you go on scout team. Mm-hmm. And who was I going up against scout team my freshman year? Tyson Jackson, first mm. round draft pick, mm-hmm. defensive end, 6'5, 290 pounds, all American, right? <laughs> and I remember it was the funniest thing, too. Don't get me wrong. The first day of pads, the first snap on scout team against Tyson. He went full out on me, and he knocked me on the ground so hard. But he got over me, he put his hand out, and he said, welcome to camp. That'll be the hardest hit you'll ever have. 
And from then on, Tyson, he took care of me. And he was able to be a role model in a way, I guess you could say. And, and I'm leading to this. For me, when I was at LSU, the first thing I did was surround myself or really watch and look out for those role models. Find good role models. Tyson mm-hmm. was one of those people. Jacob Hester was one of those people, right? Even Jacob Crutcher was one of those people. Mm-hmm. Their work ethic in the weight room and off season at practice and off the field too in school, like they just did the right things, mm-hmm. right? And so I tried to match that and do better. But obviously, you know, we're all different shapes, sizes, forms, mm-hmm. uh, athletic ability, skill, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it's, I found my leadership i guess you could say more off the field than on the field helping athletes study for quizzes for tests you know mm-hmm. help them in the classroom and motivate them in the weight room you know i wasn't the all-american titan deep snapper whatever it may be but i think i still had a purpose on the team and so i know there's quite a few athletes out there some high profile athletes that i got through some classes and if they if they didn't do well, they probably wouldn't have played in a few key games. Mm-hmm. Um, so my point was, first, is just surround yourself with positive role models and learn from them so you can be a role model better. Mm-hmm. And mentally, I think that's what got me through a good bit of football. Because it's tough, man. I mean, you know, we've been through those summer workouts. You've seen the, you've been through the heat, right, with the I coaching think we staff. I saw differently. Yeah. Like, as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk about it, like, even in high school, I, mean, I, I never saw myself as like the way that people saw. I still don't see myself the way that people who aren't me see me. But like, even what you're talking about, like in high school, getting recruited, all American, like that just shit didn't matter to me. I was still on the bus. I was still poor. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like even getting to college, like, I mean, you know, I got into football. I like I'm an engineering kid. Like I'm academics are very important to me too. Right. And. I don't know. I think for me, it was just more like looking for revenge, like looking for revenge on football. Like football is the reason why I'm doing all this running. Football is the reason why, you know, like I have to do all this shit I don't want to do. So football is going to pay me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Almost like me running up on someone who owes me money. But I was always, I always felt like I was, like I was supposed to be in the background and things. Like even when I signed, like you know, my free agent deal with the Chargers, like I didn't fly in to sign it on paper. I mean, on the news or anything like that. Like y'all can just fax that in. I just, I think I, it was just always different. Because even in college, like mm-hmm. most of the time I spent was around, you know, people who weren't who people would think I was spending time around. Because most of those people were assholes or idiots or both. You know. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I dig that. And I I do know, you know, from hanging out with the people that I want to hang out with, that there are a bunch of unsung heroes like you that'll never, we'll never know unless, you know, there's interviews like this. But yeah, like I, I don't know how people, you know, they'll see an interview from someone in the NFL, like, how did this idiot get through college? Uh, this Russian? is how, yes. <laughs> like, this is how. That's going to be the name of this episode. This is how you get through college. No. <laughs> so I got a question for you. When you're asking, mm-hmm. when you're saying about football was for revenge, uh, I think I heard you on another podcast saying, when what motivated you to to perform well? Like, were you the type of person who needed the the motivation? Like, Joe, you can do this. I believe in you. Or you're like, Joe, you suck. You know, you're the worst 
offensive lineman ever, defensive lineman ever, blah, 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 blah. What motivates you? Was it the positive affirmation or the negative? It was a positive, but I thought it was a negative, if that makes sense. Explain. Because I look at myself so negatively, I assume that, like, I am not worthy of positive reinforcement. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or... I know my brain is weird. It's either that or it's like, oh, you think I can't do it, which is why you're trying to be so nice about it. You know, you're trying to be nice so that when I don't get it done, you can just say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, I just don't want to... I never wanted to be in the spotlight for the wrong thing. And as an offensive lineman, you can only be in the spotlight for the wrong thing. (laughs) So like... I mean, this dude just sent me a message on LinkedIn the other day. Like, you played like in a hundred something, a hundred plus games and had two holding penalties in your entire NFL career. I had no idea, but I just always knew I did not want to be the person yeah. that we watching on film. This would have been a touchdown, <laughs> fucking Joe Barksdale. Like, <laughs> my parents did that to me enough. I didn't want to experience it again, like in front of other people who hadn't been around me when I experienced that as a child. So I would say that was the main thing. Like, I just didn't want to be embarrassed. I gotcha. Okay. For me, it was more. I never, I could only take so much of the the yelling and screaming, right? That shut me down. I needed, I need someone to tell me, Alex, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your, keep, stay focused. Use your feet, use your legs, use your strength. You can do this. I believe in you. I didn't get that a whole lot from. Was that me. how you were raised? You know what? I, I think so. I mean, it was a. I lived in a very positive household growing up. I I never was yelled at to a point where it made me shut down at home. Or if I did, it only happened a few times. And I think my parents acknowledged the fact, like, okay, this is not how he is going to react better, right? He needs the positive mm. talk, not the negative, not the yelling, not the screaming. And so I think you're right, um, honestly. And my, my point of, of talking to you about this was I think that Coaches, not just coaches, we'll just say managers, bosses, employees, mm. uh, husbands, wives, parents, whatever it may be. Humans. Humans need to take the time to get to know how to communicate eff- efficiently and effectively towards individuals, right? Like, Well, the reality is the people who are motivated by the negative reinforcement, that's a, that's, you're not you're broken, but that's a broken thought method. Even as I'm thinking about people who are motivated by negative reinforcement, myself included, I wasn't the first person to tell myself I should kill myself. Right. It was a coach or it was a teacher or Mm -hmm. I wasn't the first person to call myself stupid. It was my mom. You know, like I wasn't the first person to think I was a burden. Like these thoughts, these things are put into you, but you know, you're a product of your environment. And as you were just talking about that, like I know, like I said, like I was so unused to positive reinforcement, I would almost take it as an insult. Like, oh, you think I can't do it? Is that why you being nice? When in actuality, as humans, I think we all respond better to positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, you <laughs> you tell me someone that would turn their nose up at like a tip or a bonus yeah. or something. You know, that's positive exactly. reinforcement. It's not like you know. But I mean, I, does someone really? Would you rather get yelled at constantly every day? Or would you rather be like, Joe, you could do this. I believe in you. Let me motivate you. You know, keep on keeping on. You yeah, can do I, this. I'd rather get the second one now. Mm-hmm. But that's after like years of therapy and realizing all the messed up, you know, things that have happened before that. Sure. But I think that we all start out like you. I mean, like like you were talking about in college. Like, 
Because even my kids, like they, they, everybody's kids. I, like I said, I don't know a kid that you say, hey, that's a great job. And they're like, oh, this, is, this isn't what I was looking for. Right, you right, know? right. But I think that like some of us, um, and by some of us, I'm talking about like, you know, high school, college athletes. You grow up in situations with angry ass parents who already, some people's parents probably shouldn't have had them in the first place. <laughs> but you got parents who are just in their mind like, well, I'm doing the best I can, so whatever I do is acceptable. Right. And it's not. And so how, so how does a child break that cycle, right? You got to be autistic. And, uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> I do think some of it has to do with autism, though, because like when people hear that like I don't talk to my parents or really anybody in my family except for like my aunt and my middle brother... They're like, how is that possible? But for me, it's logical. Like, if these people make me feel like shit, and if I have panic attacks every time I see them calling my phone, why would I continue this relationship? It's mm-hmm. not good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's like, release all the negativity out of your life. But you gotta... That, that's harder for some people than other people. Like, I never... And me and my therapist talked about this. I never formed that bond with my parents to begin with that, that children do. Like, mm-hmm. my grandma used to brag to my girlfriend about it. Like, we'd take him places as young as, you know, three, four years old. And we'd be gone for weeks. And he never asked for his parents. And, like, that's not normal. Yeah. You know, like, my three-year-old right now, well, she's at soccer camp. But she come back. Where's that? Where's mom? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's been gone for, like, a couple hours. Um, but things like that. And I, I do think that... Because of that, I was able to cut off that toxic relationship a little easier than most people. So I never, like, looked down on other people for not being able to do it. But at the same time, just like any other surgery, if it needs to get done, it needs to be done. Right. You know. Um, But that was my way. Because I didn't, I don't want my kids to be like me. Um, I don't want them to feel like I do. I don't want them to grow up thinking like I did and which is why like I'm so aware of like everything that I do and say on stage because I don't ever want them to see like an old comedy performance or something like that and it's like oh I make my dad miserable or any you know like I'm very conscious of what I say on stage do they do some hilarious things that I talk about absolutely for sure they're kids yeah they're kids but I'm never like oh these guys I wish I never had kids or anything like that um because I love my kids uh but yeah I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, but. it's good. It's good, man. It's it's real good. It's uh, yeah. being a dad's the best best part of your of your life of my life besides being a husband. And I think we can learn so much from just our children alone and just the joy that they have. I mean, you want to know the most the most what's pure innocence is a, a baby. Mm. I mean, they're just there smiling, giggling, being happy and. You know, I'll never forget the first time when Vivi, she grabbed my finger right out of the womb. And now she says, da-da, all the time. So it's it's the That could be your ringtone. Da-da. <laughs> so, but yeah, man. Um, what did you think when you first, like, held your daughter for the first time? Man, I'm not much of a cry, to tell you the truth. And I cried when I held her. It was the most amazing feeling in the whole wide world. Um, I just I just knew right then and there my life would forever change and... Um, she, I brought her, my wife and I brought her into this world. She didn't bring herself. And so she has nothing. She she doesn't have to worry about giving me anything. I just have to provide her everything. Mm -hmm. 
So. I feel the same way. I remember the first time I held my daughter. And like my, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of my grandparents. My first thought was like, this was a couple generations ago. I probably never seen this kid. Mm. You know, I was already crying before this, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, you know, started crying harder. I thought about like people in my past who look like me who were never able to see their kids. Or like, like I said, if this had been a couple generations ago, or if I had been in jail, or if I had killed myself before now, these kind of things. Um, and yeah, it's definitely special because even during all those thoughts, I realized, I was like, wow, this is like the first time in a long time I haven't thought about like how miserable I am or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my kids definitely, I mean, both of them, like I remember like it was yesterday, you know, seeing them both and like things that were on my mind actively just disappeared. You know, certain things didn't matter. Like you said, your priorities change. And it's a beautiful thing. And you start to feel bad for all the people. Like, because there are no bad, like you said, like kids come out pure. Something had to happen to these people. I always mm-hmm. think that whenever you see someone doing something, whatever, like something had to happen to this person. They weren't born this way. And I feel bad for those babies too, the unprotected babies. Gosh, this is depressing. All right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, first and foremost, let's switch gears real quick. Uh, I'm looking around. The, the Sith Lord room with uh, all the guitars and the lightsabers. And I just want to say, I gotta, I think I'm, a, I have to do a little bit of influence on your guitar playing. Who's your first guitar player I knew? There you go. College, yeah. right? Yeah. I remember there's a great picture somewhere of myself playing uh, the guitar <laughs> in front of Raheem Alem, and he's just loving it, or <laughs> you can tell in his face he wasn't. But since that day, I feel like you've just been. Into the guitar. Yeah, we yeah. played rock band, and I remember I was way better at the drums than guitar and rock band. I remember thinking, like, how hard is this instrument to play? Um, but that was one of the reasons why, when I was thinking about an instrument to pick up, I'm like, because, you know, have you played any other instruments besides guitar? I mean, I could I could play drums a little bit, but I'm not nearly as good. My sister is very musically in- inclined. She can play everything. But... I remember you were telling me that. Mm-hmm. But, like... It, a guitar, I mean, guitars and pianos are the only two instruments that can make chords. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you got your, like, so, well, that's a mandolin, and there's still a guitar. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I don't know, and because of that, it just seemed like guitar and piano were the two instruments you could just sit down and play. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, I gotta put my saxophone together, gotta wet the reed, gotta, you know, your trumpet, all that, so... That's what it was for me. I remember you just like, oh, I'm going to play guitar. And you picked it up and you made sure it was in tune, changed maybe one or two strings and then started playing. And I'm like, yeah, that yeah, seems. I used to walk around WCA just with my guitar, just just my little electric one, just playing. WCA is West Campus Apartments. Also, Rock Band was like, it had just come out when we were Man, in it just came out. We had the full set of Stephen Ridley, my roommate. He bought it all, man. We had it set up in the living room. The The microphone was hanging from the fan. That's true. While someone was playing guitar and singing at the same time. This is one. That was one of the most like fun nights of my life. That like, was great, man. Gosh, <laughs> we did that so much. Yeah, it was. I, that's actually how I got introduced to rock music. Like I remember... Y'all were playing rock band. I'm like, oh, let's see what's going on. These songs are cool. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good time, <laughs> shout out to the Strokes. That's how I became a Strokes fan. I found out about them through rock band. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, Reptilian. <laughs> but I love that whole album. It's like, good, yeah, man. That's from Is This It? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I'd have I, to double check. It's shout out to the Strokes, man. I've been listening since Is This It. For sure. For and sure. now that we've gone into an alt rock or indie rock station, do you listen to the Mountain Goats? Uh, a little 
little bit from time to time. Not not too much. I've been uh, listening a lot more of Coco Melon late, lately. Wheels okay. on the Bus. It's okay. a Gucci Spider. That makes sense. That's kind of been the jams. Yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know there's other stuff besides Coco Melon and, da- I mean, not Daddy Shark, Baby Shark. Oh, she loves that one too, man. That's so fun. So Why couldn't we have made that song? I don't know, but hit after hit after hits. Yeah. So many different renditions of Wheels on the Bus. I'll tell you what. Shout out to Coco Melon. They can just keep reproducing the same thing over with different spices. <laughs> I don't even know what you call that. Tex-Mex? No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, man. Maybe so. You, um... We talked a little bit about college football. What would you say... Like, what was the best part of being a college athlete? What was the worst part of being a college athlete? Man, the best part about being a college athlete... Uh... Because I feel like, man, you're going to have two different answers. Well, I'll say this. You know, for me, I've always been about the people, right? The the people who you spend the most time with, uh, your the fans or your mentors or your coaches. Um, but most important, like I said, I think the most important or my favorite part about being a college athlete is just the built-in brotherhood, right? I knew no matter what, Monday through Friday, between the hours of... Two o'clock team meeting to six, you and I and about a hundred other football players were gonna be together, right? Mm-hmm. Summertime too. We're running one tens together. We're doing all the workouts together. And I just think having that bond, you know, putting myself and surrounding myself with people like yourself, uh, Mitch, Joseph. Shout out to Miss Joseph. T Bob, Will, Shout out to T-Bob, DeRossick, Will, Jay Rossick, Lee, Jerry Lee, Steven, even. Steven I mean, really. Don't Jerry Lee live out here? Jerry Lee's out here too, yeah. Shout out to Jerry. We got to have him on the. He's going to come out here next for sure. <coughs> Sorry. We got to have him on the show. But I just know any, because of that built in brotherhood for those five, six years, I know I could call up any of those guys and we could pick up right where we left off. Right. I mean, you and I probably didn't talk for eight years or so. Mm-hmm. And then here we are living in the same city, let alone 10 minutes away from each other's house, being able to pick it back up right where we left off. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably my, my favorite part of being a college athlete is that built in brotherhood. My least favorite is honestly, maybe just the, the politics around it. Um, with the coaching staff and the players and, you know, pushing people in and out mm-hmm. and just the revolving door of coaches, you know, I, I went to any stability. Yeah. No stability whatsoever. And we, you know, one of the main reasons why I went to LSU to begin with was because I loved my tight ends coach, Josh Henson. And oh man, he was gone. What the next year he was gone. He was there for two years. I was there. So my redshirt year and then my redshirt freshman year or whatever, you know, whatever it was. He seemed like um, he was a really good I mean, I've man, never been coached great. by him. He was yeah. great. I mean, uh, we, Shout out to we, Josh Henson. We still kind of talk through social media. and, and you know, oh, that's what's His up. wife was great, and his kids are all grown now. But um, when he left, I just felt like – and same with special teams, too. I had three different special team coaches. I had three different Titans coaches. and Well, I the just, good news is you would have been ready for the league. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were ready for the league, baby. <laughs> So that didn't help me, and so yeah. I never felt like I had the stability of an actual, you know, mentor from a, a coaching standpoint. I, I say that, but that's my position, coach. And we all know that the most important coach at college is your strength coach. I think Coach Moffitt had the largest influence 
on me as who, who I am today. I mean, he taught us, taught me how to be tough, how to be organized, be on time, just just be a hard worker. Mm-hmm. And as hard as he was on us or on me, like I respect him for that too. And him and I, I would say we have a great relationship to this day. Yeah, shout out to Tommy Moffitt. I mean, that guy is the GOAT. That's sure. like the one coach I kept in touch. Actually, like, mm-hmm. Coach Moffitt's probably the only coach. Like, if he comments on something on social media, like, I'll, kind of, I'll respond to him. Yeah. The rest of y'all can fucking suck it. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. It's funny. Coach Miles actually invited me to his... Uh, to This is this is mental illness. Coach Miles invited me to his Hall of Fame induction thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like... I think I was in the league when this was happening, too. And I was just like, what the fuck does he want me there for? They're probably just inviting me there to tease me for being such a loser. Like... <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that they were setting me up. I mean, I no, but, yeah. but Co- see that—that's your mindset, right? True. That's that's where you're at. But yeah, I used to hate when they would try to call us brothers. I'm like, I don't like my own family. Like, mm-hmm. what 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 makes you think I want a hundred more? Yeah, but I, I take everything literally, so I get it more now. For sure, you know, it's more of an emotional a bond thing, not a we're brothers. Definitely. Yeah, and you know, I say that. Don't get me wrong. There were some good coaches there, but. The most impactful was definitely Coach Moffitt. Shit, I had a bad one. Coach Henson. And then, you know, Coach Nader, Sam Nader, taught me how to be a good human. And Lunda Wells. If it weren't for Lunda Lunda. Wells, I wouldn't have made made it to that. I think he's like the O-line coach for the Cowboys now. He is the Titans coach for the Cowboys. Titans coach for the Cowboys. Super proud of him, man. Shout out to Lunda Wells. He's done so well. And, man, him and I had some conversations on scout team and just – you know, he was always motivating. Great guy. Great he coach. He was very good at positive reinforcement. Great coach. Yeah. Great coach. Shout out to you, Big Lunda. Shout out to Lunda. You know, One day he's going to be in the NFL Coaches looking, Hall of Fame. He's, uh, you know, it's funny. We were looking, and I was talking to Jared Lee about him, too. And, you know, we watched that show Yellowstone, and you see Lunda all dressed in all black with a cowboy hat looking like John Dutton. <laughs> What's Yellowstone? Oh, man. You got to check it out. <laughs> It's basically Montana. Uh, it's a show on. I think it's FX. Kevin Costner, and okay. it is just a rodeo show about uh, a ranch that goes through all this drama. And basically, it doesn't want. It makes you not want to go to Montana with all the the violence. <laughs> That's but real. Go check it out. Sorry, just just a it's, quick little reference. But. So it's a it's a like a factual like documentary type thing. Or? No, it, it's it's just made-up TV, but it's... Oh, like it's, The Office. Yeah, it's okay. like it's present day, but it's drama. It's not comedy, but... Oh, but Lunda was on that show? No, we're saying he dresses like oh. he belongs on Yellowstone. As y'all can see, You know, because he's a Dallas Cowboys. Literally. You know, he's he's in Texas, lives in Dallas, and gotcha. he definitely has... Well, Von in. Miller should be on that show, too, as well. Yes. yes. I knew Von Miller was from Texas before I knew anything else about him. <laughs> <laughs> this man has to be from Texas. Like, this is not Oklahoma swag. Anyway. Anyway. Shout out to Lunda and his positive reinforcement. Well, what about you? Let me let me reverse the question. What was your favorite part of being a college athlete and your least favorite part? I mean, I can think of one time when I was there when you squatted over 720-something pounds. And I'm sure you still hold the record for that. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. Breaking records. It's weird because when I think about that, like I think about that time in my life, and like I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I still feel like I'm going through the motions. Not going through the motions, like I'm not putting forth effort, but just repeating the same fucking day every day, yeah. like Groundhog Day. But I would say the consistency, mm-hmm. just in terms of like 
it was very annoying that our schedules would be repeated so often, but I get it now. Some people needed that, you know, 13th, 14th, 80th reminder. Right. Um, but I love the consistency, like just having a routine and, you know, knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, what I dislike the most was probably being around so many people. Yeah. Um, but not for the reasons people would think. Like, I was undiagnosed autistic at the time, and I could just tell that there were like, there was just something different, you know, between me and a lot of people that I tried to communicate with or interact with or that kind of thing. Um, but I would say that was probably the least favorite part. Just like being around so many people, but feeling like, you know, like I'm always fucking it up or like maybe I just need to be quiet. That's, I mean. Well, I do remember you were pretty quiet, like in the team meetings. You know, there's a lot of people out there who just love being loud and in yeah. your face and in front of everybody. But you always kind of, I always thought you maintained your cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you weren't shy, but you weren't like, like, I don't, it's like you were mature beyond your age, I guess you could say. Yeah, right? Does just, that make sense? I was just scared. Yeah. And I, no one no one know, no one knew that. Yeah. Right? So even in the NFL, like, I was just scared. Like and it's funny cuz you say that like, you know, oh, Joe's so cool. In the NFL, I feel like the mental illness had become it gotten to the I mean, I guess we were spending more time around each other too mm-hmm. when I was, you know. But like I'm pretty sure NFL teammates were probably like Joe's fucking nuts. Like <laughs> I don't know what it is. Just some days he'll show up to work. Now he wants to fight today. I don't get it. <laughs> great guy. Like, <laughs> great person, you know. Love to have him on the team, but, you know. But once know. again, I think that, is that your mindset? Is that you? Or have you actually had conversations with your teammates at the time? I don't time? think I've talked to a former teammate, if I'm okay. being honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that, that wasn't in college. Right, 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 right. Uh, and I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> just cause like in my mind yeah like they hated me in my, in my mind like even with my retirement like I let people down um I don't know if I told you about like Kendall's first godfather who was a teammate of mine tell me about it uh, uh, pretty much Kendall had a first godfather who was a teammate of mine and I thought like we were real friends um I had I had like a really bad mental episode like a Friday before we were supposed to leave for a game. Um and they left me home like I was a I was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh and I found out that like just being a part of this organization made me miserable. Uh the fans were toxic as fuck. We always lost you know, like we couldn't even, we, it would be a home game and we'd be going on silent cadence. Uh, Can you imagine doing that at LSU? Like, all right, y'all, we're going on two head bobs. But what was I talking about? Talking about Kendall's. Second. Oh, Kendall's first godfather. Uh-huh. So this man has Super Bowls. He's been to Pro Bowls. He was a first round draft pick. Like, he's gotten anything you can want in your NFL career, he's had. And he was, I had, like I said, I had this crisis mentally. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm tired of being here. I'm going to kill myself if I'm still here next season. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I've been begging the GM to let me go. He finally let me go. Um, And this dude was mad because he felt like I cost him a Super Bowl, even though he already had one. Mm. And I'm kind of like, 
okay, you want to be tough and be like, I was like, fuck you. But seriously, I was just like, this is why my mom should have got that abortion. Like, <laughs> that was really my first thought. Like, and not even because of what he was saying. Yeah, what he was saying hurt my feelings, but I'm in my mind, like, my dumb ass should have seen this coming. I should have picked I should have picked another godfather to begin with. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um But yeah, uh Kendall lost a godfather because I cost somebody a Super Bowl. But that's once again your mindset, right? I think there's more no, to it. I was than at just the table. That. I mean, I hear you, but you I was at I mean? the table. Yeah. And like Brianna was there. Um and his wife was there. Uh but yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Like, it ain't the first. He ain't the first person. He ain't going to be the last person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Kendall's birthday is actually next month. How's Shout she out to be? Kendall. Four. That's right. Shout out to Kendall. She's uh, she's half of the Barksdale sisters, and I can't say no to either of them. And it's... Mm-hmm. Don't have two girls, bro. I, oh, man. Being a girl dad is, is the best. It's great until you got to say no. And then your wife's just looking at you like, why can't you say no? And why can't you go up there and put them to sleep? I, I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> Half the time, my wife sends me upstairs to put the kids to sleep. They both come back with me. It's all right. We're going to sleep in the bed tonight. There you go. See, I'm, like, on the, I'm on the morning shift. So she's okay. happy to see me. She's like, da-da. And then at night, <laughs> you know, my wife's the one putting her to bed while I do the dishes or whatever it may be. And I tell Lindsay all the time, like, you know, you're going to be the discipliner. I mean, oh, yeah. I can't do it. I'm no. not going to do it. No way. Because if, if you had a son, she would say the same thing to you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I can't say no to him. He's so sweet. <laughs> I could say no to him. Sit your ass down. <laughs> I could dig that. And you're right. Being a girl dad is great. Shout out to all the girl dads. Speaking That's of right. that, what advice would you give specifically to girl dads? Man, just... Patience. I would say patience. I mean, they are the most amazing little humans, creatures in the world, but it does, it takes a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. to raise a child, let alone a girl, it, it, it takes a lot. For example, we just got back from uh, Cabo San Lucas a couple days ago, and on the flight, Vivian did pretty well the first hour because she slept, mm. but then the second hour, it was just nonstop screaming and screaming and just screaming bloody murder. And so all I could all I could do was kind of put my head down and just hold her and just kind of rub her back and mm. just you know say a little prayer for myself and for us. And luckily, a lot of the people around us were very understanding. Um, some people had great grand uh, grandkids. Some people had kids before. It's like, oh, we understand. We've been there, done that. But at the moment, you feel like, oh my gosh, I am causing so much drama for all these people around. But people do you are think that's pre-kid, Alex, thinking that? Because like, I know what you're saying, and as someone who's you know been on planes, like before I had kids, even then, like if it was a baby crying or whatever, I would be more like curious. Like, just in your mind, like, damn, I wonder what's wrong because the baby can't talk. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the, the, there's a million things that could be wrong. Baby could be bored, hungry, wet, you know, that kind of Ears thing. Ears blocked, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, pre, but pre- now pre- I'm just glad it ain't mine. Like, yeah. hearing other people's kids scream is fantastic. Like, yeah. that's not my well, child. You know, nowadays you can, you can tune out a lot of the noise when you're on an airplane specifically, right? You just need headphones and your iPad or your, your, yeah. your phone and listen to music, watch a movie, whatever it may be. So... For me, I never really thought of, I mean, when the kids was, when a baby would cry in the plane, I was just like, man, poor kid, I bet he's just tired or wants to get off the plane, whatever yeah. it may be. I didn't think anything of it. But then when you have one of your own, it's like, 
Oh my gosh. I say this a lot, Joe, and there's two things that I, I hate most. One is being injured, and two is being sick. Now, since I've had a kid, there's Ain't sick just like being injured. Like it's, you got no, it's different. No, different. So it's like I can't move. My back hurts. Oh man, or I'm sick. My my, you know, I'm congested. I'm coughing. I'm sneezing. Whatever it may be. I think mm. that's the difference. Okay. Now, there's two more things that I hate even more than that is when your child is injured or sick. You just feel so helpless, right? Like, what can I do? Especially when your child can't really talk yet, when they can't tell you what they need or what they want or what hurts. Like, you just feel so helpless. And so that, I'm at my all-time low when my child is sick. That makes sense. You know? Are you, would you consider yourself, like, I don't want to say religious because, like, there's a difference between like religion and spirituality. People would argue that like religion is, you know, more like not I'm not trying to say rules, but like for lack of a better word, rules. Mm -hmm. Whereas like spirituality is a personal relationship, like, you know, with God. Hey, for me, you know, I was raised uh Catholic and okay. then as I got older, probably post college and I met Lindsay, who was raised Baptist, we decided we wanted to find something that fit us. Not so much how we were raised or for you know our parents, whatever it may be, but something, some place that would work for us. You know, We're both believers. We both believe in God. And um, we wanted to make sure we found a good place for our family to grow. And now we go to Life Austin out here at Southwest Parkway. Oh, shout out to Life Austin. You know, Randy, Pastor yeah. Randy. Shout out to Pastor man. Randy. And so, you know, we... I, I pray. My mom, once again, my mom has always said, Mijo, you need to pray, 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 pray all day. And I've done a lot of prayer over, over my life. What's you know, your concept of prayer? Man, concept of prayer is just thanking God every day for what you have, what you have, haven't received, and for all the blessings. And like I said before, I think every negative can be turned into a positive. And so there's something when Vivi's sick, okay, he's preparing me for something else. Or, um, you know, a job opportunity or maybe your job's not going so well, whatever it may be. Um, even laying down and saying the Lord's Prayer before you go to sleep. And, you know, it's just being grateful for for what he's done, not just for me, but for others as well. And just um, hoping that there can be peace, I guess you could say. I got you. I see it as like my pastor said it best. Like, so I'm gonna take his definition, but like, prayer is getting your like plans and heart in line with like God's. Because if God is perfect and everything, He can't be wrong, and mm -hmm. if he, you know that kind of thing. Uh, like, more of a, I see it as more of a. Um, I guess I see it like David saw it. King David in the Old Testament, like, because I don't just pray when I'm feeling good. Like, most of my prayers come from when I'm feeling bad. And I don't mean, like, oh, God, help me, but just, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, Show me know. the way. Guide me. Not even that. Just just, just being, I, like, I, half of my prayers are just me being honest with my thoughts. Like, God, I don't even want to be here right now. Obviously, I'm not about to go kill myself, but, like, yeah, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I guess I talked to God before I would talk to a person just because mm -hmm. I don't know like God's not gonna call a suicide hotline when you're done, <laughs> when you're done talking to him 
you're not gonna get a call like hey Joe this is the Austin Police Department we heard uh but yeah I, so I see it as uh continuing to build like that personal relationship definitely and, and it's weird because it makes me happy for feeling so lonely all the time because like when you feel alone you can spend time building relationships with people that you want to um which is my wife my kids God friends you know these kind of things mm-hmm. um Speaking of God and so forth, do you do you have like a not a church community? Because I know you go to the church, but do you have like a community outside of church? Because you know some people they do like small groups or like they have you know church friends. You know, Joe, I haven't reached out to a, a small group even within oh, or, or outside of church yet. I mean, it's definitely on my to do list. Um, we just moved September twenty twenty to where we live now. Mm-hmm. And so, shout out to everybody that made it through 2020. That's right, amen, brother. And um, you know, we had we had Vivian December 2020. Oh Lord! And so we've been uh, we've been pretty busy with her, just raising her and trying just to survive, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, through that year. But um, definitely on my to do list too. And I think that also would help me build my relationship with God and and be closer to Him and just you know continuing to to grow my faith and and. You know, do good, really. I dig that. And I will say this, too. It's funny. I remember growing up, in, 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 even in high school, and even in college, too, I felt like I was so much closer to God when I was playing football just to, to pray for protection for myself, for my team, for the other team during practice. I mean, you remember, mm-hmm. after every practice, we'd always mm-hmm. we'd always pray and, and, and thank the Lord. So, Well, y'all would be praying. I'd be like, God, what the fuck? <laughs> it's 105 <laughs> degrees out here. I got on 10 pounds of equipment. This <laughs> Pray for rain. Jesus please. didn't die for this. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but no, I know what you mean. But now, you know, I'm much more closer to him because I, I, I just, I guess I'm more aware and just of what's going on in my life, my wife's life, and my kids' life, you know, and what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have that personal relationship and you want to grow your faith. Because, like I said, I'm a big believer in prayer. I'm a big believer in in good things happening if you pray for them and and yeah so have you ever so you were talking earlier about getting injured and you were talking about praying for protection and stuff before the game you ever got injured like during a game or a practice that you pray for protection (sighs) i mean i felt like before every game i'd always play pray for protection and yeah there was one game i remember when i was snapped the ball and i ran down the field and i don't know it was piercy harvin or who it was but i tried to go tackle him and he ran. I, I tried. He, he juked, juked me so bad. I had to reach out to try to grab him, and he ran through my shoulder. Ah! And he just like blew out my arm. And I, I, I luckily I finished the game, but man, I was out for a couple, couple games. And then <laughs> after that, uh, I snapped the ball over the punter's head. If you recall, it's been a while. Uh, I during remember that, during yeah. the Vanderbilt game or Mississippi State game or maybe I did it both. But yeah, that's also the one of the most embarrassing moments of my life as a deep snapper. Um, when you snap the ball under the punter's head in front of a hundred thousand fans on national TV, uh, I did that yeah. and I made it through. And really, at this point, no one really cares. I but at like the time, it was very the worst fears in front of a hundred thousand fans. Whether it's giving up a sack, not making a play, yeah, getting a touchdown called on you, not catching the t- dropping a touchdown, mm-hmm. it's crazy. We've all it's it's funny though. Like <laughs> with long snappers, 
I never took that shit for granted because I don't even know how to throw a football, like which is ridiculous. But I don't even to this day I can't throw a football. Yeah. But like knowing, just like with centers, that you had to be like perfect every snap. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like you got like a bunch of snaps. Like what? How many snaps would you say you took like a game? Like ten, twelve for punting? To to to, to actually snap the ball. I mean, yeah, I'd say average probably. Six to ten, depend, you know, both But they punts, all needed to be perfect, right? Punts and extra points and fibbles, yeah, exactly. It needed to be perfect. And I think after that moment in time, um, I had the physical capabilities. I don't think my injury was fully healed, and I'm not blaming my injury on snapping the ball over the punter's head. I think it was more mental Mentally, psychosomatic. Yeah, I was just out of it, and that yeah. put me in a very dark spot for, yeah. for a year or so where I didn't see the field. And then... For me, I've always been the type of person, if I make a commitment to something or someone, I'm going to stick with it. And so mm-hmm. I made a commitment to LSU to finish out my football career there, get an education. And because of that, I was able not to get one but two degrees, play in the national championship, mm-hmm. and build my you know, my brotherhood even, even more. You know, I feel like if you were to transfer from a university after a couple of years, like how often do you normally talk to those people? You, you get a whole new group of friends, mm-hmm. you get a whole new group of teammates. I had my roots planted at LSU. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And I knew Derek Cowherd taught me at the time. Shout out to Derek Cowherd. You know, Derek Cowherd taught me how to be a great student. And he said, Alex, there's more to life than just football. And so my first year or two, I, you know, being a Division One freshman, like you're living it up, you're having so much fun, you're going out every night, Tiger Bar Tuesday, whatever it may be, didn't matter if you had a test or whatever. Once he said that to me, it's like, okay, I, can, I need to get back to my normal Alex Russian self, do well in school, graduate degree, do what I got to do. Mm-hmm. Because like he said, there's more to life than just football. And I did, and it worked out. And now, I'm like I said, I'm... Very blessed to be where I am today with my family and where I live and my career. And um, LSU made me who I am. Those it's funny. I feel like we came from two totally different ends of the spectrum. That's for what me, I'm saying. It was like coaches like, hey, you need to care more about football. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. There's yeah. less to life than engin- There's more to life than engineering, all right? You need to. But, yeah, that's I find that very fascinating. Like, because like you said, like, I, I never came to college with that mindset. Like, from the moment I stepped on campus, I'm like, how do I not be poor? Mm-hmm. Like, how, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do I not be poor anymore? But, yeah, that's, that is funny. That, I mean, it's usually one of those two. It's just weird because, like, normally when coaches have conversations like that with people like me, those people don't end up on the field playing. Like, yeah. nothing ever happens with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But but look how well you did for yourself. I mean, you have a beautiful family. You live in a great city, a great house. You have a great career post-NFL. It'll be great one day. You know, I mean, everything you've done, I, I'm just impressed, man. And I'll be impressed Shout out to you, day. buddy. I appreciate it. I honestly don't feel like I have anything to be <laughs> That's why I don't really leave the house. Um, but hopefully one day, like, I'm still working on that. You know, feeling better about just myself. Like before, I even start talking about like stuff outside of me. But I don't know. I hate myself less when I'm around my kids and wife. So that's something. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate myself less during this conversation. So that's something. But yeah, I'm still. I don't know. Like I feel like I spent my whole childhood 
hearing all the time, like, money can't buy you happiness. There's miserable rich people. And I'm like, well, I like to see. And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> Damn, they were right. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I I will say, like, you're right. Like, the old, not even the older you get, just the more you live, you start to realize, like, things that really matter to you. Mm-hmm. And, like, the things that matter the most, you can't buy. Exactly. Like, you can't buy your daughter's health. No. You know. Mm-mm. Or I can't buy oxygen i mean you can buy oxygen but you know what i mean right and that's that's very philosophical actually what's the best advice you've ever gotten period the best advice i've ever gotten period and we are closing it down too just so you know and just so you know you're talking about oh i'm not that interested i want to see how long we've been uh talking it's been an hour and a half wait has it Uh, i know it's been more than seven minutes Oh, wait. Is this two hours? Oh, my gosh, Joe. We got to roll, buddy. All right, for sure. I don't know if it's the best <laughs> advice I've ever got because I can't think about all the advice I've... I mean, I've, I've gotten so much advice because I guess I need some help. <laughs> we all do. But recently, a great mentor of mine told me, it's like, surround yourself with people who can be completely honest with you. And when they're brutally honest, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's mm-hmm. for the good and for the bad, mm-hmm. because those are the people who truly love and care about you, and want to see you do well, and and, and are there for you. And, and that's so, how you're gonna get better. Exactly. Listen yeah. to those people. Mm-hmm. Right. Listen to those people. That's a good one. Um, I actually tell people that all the time. Like, if somebody's not gonna tell you the truth, you shouldn't trust them. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if they're not gonna tell you the truth, you know. Um. I will give advice. What's the best advice I've ever heard? It actually came from Kobe Bryant. Okay. He said, if you were to push through it for a game, you push through it for your family. I like that. Like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to play, but I got to go. Yeah. Okay. You tired and kids want to go do something? Get your ass out there. Like, there you go. That's something I always thought about. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we definitely want to have you back. Why do I say we? Like, there's a team of people in here. I want to have you back. <laughs> No, man, it's a great setup, and I appreciate the opportunity and the time, and I hope the viewers enjoy the, the podcast. Uh, yeah. I know I was kind of probably long-winded. I hope it's interesting. Oh, it's definitely interesting. I wouldn't have kept talking if it wasn't. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. But great seeing you, man. You too, bro. You're doing good. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to hit the stop button because I'm bad at uh, how to, I'm bad at stopping. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.